Welcome, church. Welcome. It is so good to be together today. We need each other. We need the Lord right now. We're in an unprecedented time in our country and in our world, and we come together to focus on Jesus. We come together to unite our hearts in worship and to pray together and to encourage one another. And I just want to say I'm thankful for all the medical professionals in our in our church who are watching. I'm just so thankful for the doctors and the nurses and the healthcare providers. I'm thankful for grocery store workers and many in that industry. And you guys, we just want you to be encouraged today. You are on the front lines. We're praying with you and we're praying for you. But I believe our God is at work. I believe that God is moving in a mighty way and that hearts are turning to Him. And today is a special today. You know, today is Palm Sunday. It's the time that Jesus rides into Jerusalem and bringing hope and help. And I pray that He will ride into our hearts today and that we will see Him in a new way, in a special way. We're all leading up to Easter, Easter Sunday next week. And I can't wait as we celebrate a risen Savior. So this is the start of Holy Week. Holy Week, what a special week. And for a lot of people, we've given up things for Lent, right? And for all of us, we've given up a lot more than we ever dreamed or imagined. But I pray in this time that we would focus on Jesus and that our hearts would turn to Him. You know, we're in our Easter series, right? And, and I love this series because it's called All Eyes on Jesus. And when we put our eyes on our problems, our problems just get bigger. But when we put our eyes on Jesus, our faith grows stronger. We grow deeper in our love for Him and in what's important in this world, the things of God. And so we've been going back to that very first Easter. And we've seen some of the people who were there that first Easter and, and some of the emotions that they were feeling because there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of worry. There was a lot of angst there. And we see people like Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the fear, you know, but God used this ordinary person in, a, in an extraordinary way. And she saw Jesus come into the world as her son and, and leave the world as her savior. God used her just like God wants to use us right now today to bring hope into this world. We saw Judas. Judas, who was this guy, was with Jesus for three years. He was around Jesus for three years, and yet his heart was so far from Jesus. And we've said this, that listen, there comes a point that we declare Jesus is Lord. We could be around church. We could be watching today, but, but yet have we committed our lives to Him? Money was the God for Judas, and he lost it all. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And we saw Thomas, Thomas, this guy known as Doubting Thomas, and he had questions. Hey, we all have questions, right? But he brought those questions and those doubts to Jesus, and Jesus met him in those questions. And then Thomas declared, my Lord and my God, this incredible declaration as God meets us, you know? And then we saw Peter last week. And all of his mess-ups and, and all of his failings. And, and yet we can identify so often with Peter. And then we see Jesus meets him and reinstates him. And the redemption, the grace of God. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? You know, it's in our hurt and our pain. It's in our fear and our worries that God does his greatest work. That's what Easter is all about. God stepping in. And today we're going to see a guy named John. John, who was the disciple closest to Jesus. John, who had a front row seat to see the miracle unfold. 
And we're gonna identify with what God wants to say to us today and speak to our hearts. You know, before all the uh, self-quarantine, before all the social distancing, about a month ago, I, I took my girls, we went to that Climb Murfreesboro, okay? There's a Climb Murfreesboro, there's a Climb Nashville, and you go and you can do rock climbing. And so my girls have been wanting to go, they wanted to go over Christmas, we didn't make it. And so we took an afternoon, went over there, and I got to tell you, it was a pretty amazing place, right? You go in and they have all these rock climbing walls all over and you get harnessed up. And I really wasn't worried about my 15-year-old Grace, right? I knew she, you know, she was pretty adventurous. And, and Mabry, my 13-year-old, you know, she just she loves climbing. But it was Kate, my 11-year-old. And Kate's scared of heights. And so I was like, okay, how's this going to go over, right? And so we get there, they get us all harnessed up, and we go through this whole training program. And then we start climbing some of the walls. And we started on some of the smaller walls. And, and, and Grace and Mabry, they're just climbing up. But then here comes Kate, and she would climb up a little bit, and then she would go back down, you know? And, and I'm like, Kate, you know, you, you can't look down. And, and she's like, but I, I just get scared, Dad. And I'm like, I know, just look up, just look up. And so we're climbing a little bit more and she's getting better. And after about two hours, we went over to the big walls. I mean, like the really big walls. And so we're over and we're climbing on the bigger walls and Grace is going up, Mabry, and I'm climbing a wall. And after a little bit, I looked over and Kate was going to the very top of the biggest wall, 45 feet. And I was like, what? And so I come down, you know, and I get over and I get my camera. I'm like, check it out, Kate, look at you. You're unbelievable. And she touches the top of the wall. And she comes down, I'm like, Kate, how did you do that? She said, Dad, I just looked up. <laughs> I just looked up, you know, I didn't look down. I didn't look, I just, I just kept looking up and I kept climbing, I kept looking up. And what you're gonna hear today, I believe, is John saying to us, look up, look up. It's not the end of the story. God is at work, focus on Jesus, look up. <laughs> if you have a Bible with you today, I invite you to open with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, man, New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're gonna see, this is John. This is the one we're talking about. This is an eyewitness. And here's John writing about what happened on that Holy Week and what happened on that Palm Sunday. So John chapter 12, pick up in verse 12. If you have God's word with you in the living room there, or you have a Bible or you can jump on you version with us. It says, the next day, a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So this is the Passover feast and Jerusalem swells to four to five times its normal size. I mean, it is packed out. Hundreds of thousands of people there, people sleeping out on the Mount of Olives and everybody's in town for the festival and they hear that Jesus is coming. Jesus, right? And so they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, exclamation point. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. All of these are messianic phrases from Psalm 118. And everybody was waiting on the Messiah. The Old Testament talked about the Messiah that would come, but the Jews were waiting on a political Messiah. They wanted Jesus to come in and overthrow the Romans. They wanted Jesus to come in and restore Israel to a place of prominence, like back in the time of David or Solomon. And yet Jesus was doing so much more. But you can kind of get the picture in your head. I mean, it's a fever pitch. I mean, it's like a ticker tape parade, right? I mean, you think about like if the Titans win the Super Bowl, coming down Broadway and hundreds of thousands of people out there. And, and, and man, you can picture this scene and here comes Jesus. And then Jesus takes it to a different level. Jesus found a young donkey 
and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. That was a messianic prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. And Jesus sits on this donkey and everybody's like, yes, the Messiah is here. But notice Jesus is on a donkey, right? He's not on a stallion coming in to declare war. He's not leading revolt or rebellion. He's coming in on a donkey, willingly giving his life, paying the price, coming in humility, in grace, in mercy. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. You know, John's like, we didn't get it. We didn't understand it. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders, right? And the religious leaders were mad at Jesus because they believed he was blaspheming. He was saying he was the son of God. And so the religious leaders were like, man, we're going to take out this guy. And the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The whole world's gone after him. Now I want you to think about this. If you're John, right? John, who's one of the disciples, one of the 12. John, who's followed Jesus for three years. John, who, who's kind of put his life, man, I'm going I'm to stake my life to, to Jesus. That's where I'm hitching my wagon. I'm going with Jesus. John had a brother, James, and they were fishermen up in Galilee, and they had left their fishing business to follow Jesus. And John's thinking, this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, he's seen miracles. He's seen all these things unfold, and now he's coming into Jerusalem like a hero. I mean, it's a ticker tape parade, but it is big time. And, and John's going, I'm on the right team. This is amazing. When Jesus becomes king over all, I want to be sitting at his right hand. This is awesome. This is the perfect time. And that's Palm Sunday. But later on throughout the week, the, the crowd starts to change. The religious leaders and the Romans, tension begins to build we know that Jesus brings his disciples together in John 13. You can kind of keep going and he shares the Passover meal with them. And while he's there, he says, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. And they're going, what? And then none of us, right? John even says like, no way, none of us, none of us. Who is it, Jesus? <laughs> he points out Judas. They sing a hymn. They go up to the Mount of Olives. They're there praying. Jesus says to Peter and James and John, the three that he's closest to. Hey, you guys pray with me. Come on. And John falls asleep. But then here comes a mob. A mob comes with the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers. And there's Judas leading the way. And, and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Jesus is arrested and all the disciples scatter. They all run. They're afraid they're going to be arrested. They're afraid they're going to be crucified. And they all take off except for John. John stays. Aren't you thankful for the people in your life who stay? Aren't you thankful for the people in your life when everybody else runs away? They're the ones who are there for you. Family, friends, church, community. And here's John. And if you turn over to John chapter 19, look at this. It says, next to the cross of Jesus stood his mother, 
right? The mom there, so thankful for all the mom's faithfulness. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, you know who that is? It's John. That's the way John refers to himself. The disciple Jesus loved, he's there, he's at the cross, standing nearby. He said to her, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. John's at the cross, looking up at Jesus who's dying. And the hurt and the pain, the disappointment in John's heart, not understanding fully what's happening right here, the price that Jesus is paying for the sins of the world. And on that cross, Jesus is like, John, take care of mom. Make sure she's okay. John was there. And if you look at the hurt and the pain, the disappointment of John chapter 19, I mean, Jesus' death, John watches as they stick a spear in his side and pull him, his dead body off of the cross. He's laid into a tomb. And, and if it was John chapter 19 alone, it would be so depressing. But it's not just John chapter 19, is it? There is John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Look at this with me. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, right? Early on the first day, that's Sunday. That's that Easter Sunday, next Sunday. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. That huge stone with the Roman seal saying, if anybody moves this stone, they will die. And the Roman soldiers that were there, they were all gone. And the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's John, the one Jesus loved and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love that John's still competitive, right? He's still like, I just got to add that in, Peter. I beat you to the tomb. I outran you. I was the fastest. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Now look at verse eight. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. I don't know if you underline your Bible, underline that. Isn't that awesome? Guys, this was the defining moment for John. The defining moment for Peter came on that beach as Jesus reinstates him. Do you love me? The defining moment for John came right here. Have you had that defining moment in your life? Where you saw, you believed, Jesus, you are Lord. You conquered death. You made a way. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They didn't understand all the Old Testament yet, but now they start to put it together. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Jesus appeared to them that night, and John's life is forever changed. John becomes a leader in the early church. He writes five of the letters in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and Revelation, all written by John. He sees Jesus. He believes and he is forever changed. And I pray that will happen to us this Palm Sunday. Hey, I want you to see some things today. If you're taking notes with us, look at this and write some things down. First of all is this call to believe. This call to believe, right? I mean, we see that with John. 
The other disciple who reached the tomb first also went aside. He saw and believed. You know, the word believe, John uses this word believe 98 times in the Gospel of John, more than any other book. John knew this call to believe. The most famous verse in the Bible is in John, John 3, 16. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes, believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This call to believe. John was around Jesus for three years, but he still did not fully believe. He didn't fully believe until this point. He saw the miracles, he saw the things happen, but he never fully committed his life, never fully engaged his heart. The resurrection is the defining point of Christianity and for all Christ followers. Do you know you can go all over the world, right? And visit the tomb of major world religious leaders. There's shrines that are built over their tombs and their bodies are still there. But you go to Israel and you go to the garden tomb and you go to see it. And I want to tell you that the tomb is empty because Jesus is alive. That's the distinctive between Christianity and all these other world religions is that our Savior is alive. He conquered death and made a way for us to have eternal life. And for every Christ follower, we come back to the resurrection. What do you believe about Jesus? Is he truly the Son of God? Hey, do you believe? Do you believe? Jesus in John chapter 11 came because you may remember his, one of his really good friends, a guy named Lazarus had died and Mary and Martha, his sisters were worried. They were concerned because they didn't have a brother now to protect them and look out for them. And so they called Jesus and Jesus arrives and, and he shows up four days after Lazarus had died. And Martha comes out and she meets him. And she's like, Jesus, if you had just been here, if you had just been here, this would have been different. How many times in our life have we just thought, Jesus, where were you? You know, do you see what's going on? Do you understand? And Jesus is like, I'm here now, right? <laughs> I'm here now. You know, your, your brother's going to live. And she's like, oh, I understand. At the resurrection, one day we'll, we'll be together again. And Jesus makes this incredible statement, John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. What an incredible statement. He says, even though he dies, he's going to live. And the one who lives in me will never die. And then he says this in verse 26. Do you believe this? Martha, do, do you believe this? Do you believe with all your heart? And I think it's the question that comes to every one of us. Do you believe this? That Jesus Christ, the Lord of your life, is the resurrection. Second thing is this, belief must bring a change in your life. Belief must bring a change in your life. You see, our belief determines our behavior, right? If I believe something's hot, I'm not gonna touch it, right? If I believe I can fall off something, get hurt, I'm not gonna go up there, right? If I believe somebody loves me, I'm gonna trust them. I'm gonna trust them. Belief determines your behavior. And that's happened in the life of John. See, before John was kind of called the son of thunder, him and his brother James, they had a temper. They were strong-willed. They were manly men, you know. And, and there was a time when they were going through Samaria and, and the Samaritans didn't believe in Jesus. And, and John says this, right? It says, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, 
Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? What? You know, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't like each other. And, and John's like, hey, we'll just take them out. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. He's like, guys, what are you thinking? That's not the gospel. That's not what I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you about love. <laughs> hey, Jesus changes John's heart and life. And we get to watch this unfold from this guy, this manly man, this fisherman, this guy who's strong. But we see God change his heart and his life from being around Jesus. John goes from anger to love. This angry, bent up tension in his life to a guy who loves. Hey, love is the defining characteristic of a Christ follower. If you look in your life, you know, are you growing in love? If you look in your life, are you growing more mature in your love for God and your love for others? Here's what John will write later on in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 4, here's what John writes. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Here's this guy whose heart was kind of strong and was about himself, and God changed him. Hey, can people see a change in you? I mean, if you look back at your life, you know, and where you were before Christ and kind of your old carnal man, that, the selfishness, the, the tension, maybe the anger, but can people see a change in you? Does your belief change your behavior? Does what you believe about Jesus come in and have you turned into a person of love? Are you loving the people around you? Are you loving them well? Even in this time of shelter in place, in this time, are you being a person who brings hope and love and peace into all your relationships? It's the call of Christ. Look at this one. Confidence comes when you know you're loved. Confidence comes when you know you're loved. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> I love that. As John's writing this story, he's like, God loved me. Jesus loved me the whole time. He was reclining next to him. John calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. When we look at our lives, so many times we go, well, I'm just a sinner. It's who I am, you know? And we define ourselves by our mistakes. But see, when you're in Christ, you're no longer just a sinner. No, you're redeemed. You're restored. What if we go, well, I'm a saint. Now, I'm not perfect, right? But I'm redeemed by the grace of God. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes the confidence we have in ourselves. John said, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. I'm not perfect, but God loves me. Jesus died for you on the cross. It's called substitutionary atonement. Big word, but what it means is he took your place. He was the substitute. For we all sinned. We all fell short. And the wages of sin is death. That means the price had to be paid. It should have been us on that cross. But Jesus took our place. He atoned for our sins. Somebody died for you. I was reading the other day about this priest in Italy, 72 years old, Giuseppe Bernadelli. Giuseppe Bernadelli is this priest and, and he contracted COVID-19. And all of his parishioners got together and they, they bought a respirator for him and he was in the hospital there in Italy and he's on this respirator and he's starting to get better. And he looked over and out in the hallway, there was a, a young man who was struggling. He was, he was bad. 
And Giuseppe, this, this man of God, just took the, the mask off of him and he took it, he gave this respirator to this young man. And Giuseppe died. But that young man lived. And, and I thought about that. How's that young man's life going to be changed? To think that there was a guy who gave his life for me, literally gave his life for me. Jesus said, greater love is no man than this. Then he laid on his life for his friends. And you think about this, that, that somebody died for you. Somebody died for me, literally gave their life for me. And man, that changes things. Think about the impact on your life of knowing how much God loves you. How much God loves you. You know, John will write later on in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, he says, perfect love drives out all fear. Perfect love drives out all fear. If God will send his son for you to pay the price for you, God promises to take care of you. I love Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Not death, not life, not angels, not principalities, nor height, nor depth. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that we would have the confidence to live that way. God's going to take care of me. God is with me. God is for me. And then we can be people who spread that love, who share that faith, who point people to Jesus and say, look up. Jesus is here. Hey, notice this. Be faithful to Jesus all your life. I love that about John. He was faithful, right? Jesus tells this parable about these guys. And he, his Entrust them with these gifts, this bag of gold. And one had five, another had two, another one. It's called the parable of the talents. But the master goes off and he comes back. And the one who had five, he, he gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And I love that because it's this foreshadowing of, of God speaking to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Servant, you know, John was faithful to Jesus. When all the other disciples scattered and ran off, John was faithful. Now there's grace, there's redemption, and these other disciples, their faith grew in the midst of that. But I'm thankful for John who stood there. Through the good times and the tough times, John was there. John was there with him on Palm Sunday when things were great. John was there at the cross when things were really hard. You see, we need God. And in the good times when things are great, man, sometimes we forget God. We move on. When things are hard, those are the times we've got to draw in. We've got to draw close. Sometimes in the hard times, we try to fix it ourselves and we turn in on ourselves instead of opening up and saying, Jesus, you're enough. You're always there. Our God is faithful. And that's why God gave us church. That's why God gave us community. God said, you need one another during the tough times, during the hard times. And the community that comes is Christ with us. God calls you to be faithful. God calls you and me to be faithful. And this is our time, guys. This is our time. In challenges and difficulties, this is our time to draw deeper and stronger in the Lord to grow closer to our family and our church, our friends, to be faithful. You know, John goes on, right, as he becomes this leader in the early church and, and the church is persecuted and 
And John is sent into exile and he's in exile on the island of Patmos. And at the age of 100, then God kind of pulls back the curtain of heaven and he, and he gives John a glimpse into heaven. And John writes it down. It's called Revelation. And it's at the very back of your Bible. It's not Revelations. There was one revelation and God gave John this revelation. And John in chapter 21, here he is looking into heaven. And John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Like the first earth, right? The, the decay and the sin and the hurt and the pain. It, it's passed away. It's gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Here it comes, all things made right. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! Exclamation point. Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that what we're looking forward to? That one day God's gonna come back and Jesus is gonna say enough. Enough pain, enough suffering. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. He's going to make all things right. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, John, write it down. For these words are trustworthy and true. John, write it down. Tell people to look up. Tell people that God is alive. And things are made right. And God is at work. Focus on him. Focus on him. You know, Jesus, at that Passover night with his disciples, he gave us the way for us to focus on him. And it's sharing the Lord's Supper, it's sharing communion together. And it's been passed down generation to generation of Christ followers coming to the table. And there's been times when church has been having church in the middle of war. And there's been times when there's been soldiers coming together and sharing communion on a battlefield. There's been times when the church has been in the catacombs. There's been times of fear, just like in the world today. And this morning or this afternoon or this evening, whenever you're watching this, we have a chance together as families in homes all over the place, or maybe you're watching at your study, but we're gonna have a time to share communion together. And I wanna invite you to come to the table to the Passover table. Jesus, on the night that was betrayed, he brought his disciples together and he took the bread and he took the wine. And, and this goes back, right, to when God delivered his people out of being slaves in Egypt. And they were there for 400 years in bondage and, and God says, I'm gonna deliver you. I'm gonna deliver you. And he said, you guys come into your house, take a lamb. Kill the lamb by families and put the blood over the doorpost of your home and then have the meal together. Have bread and the, the cup and the, and the Passover lamb. Share this meal because tonight the death angel will come and the death angel will pass over your home if it's covered in the blood of the lamb. And that night the death angel came and every firstborn of the Egyptian was killed. Pharaoh said, you're free to go because all the people in their homes were spared because they were covered in the blood of the lamb.
And they had celebrated that Passover every year, every year. And now Jesus with his disciples, he takes the bread and the cup. But you know, as you look through the gospels, all four of them, nobody ever mentions a Passover lamb being there. There wasn't a lamb. Oh, but there was. Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, who blood covers our hearts and makes a way for us to be able to celebrate life eternal. Jesus was there. And so he took the bread and he took the cup. I want to invite you right now, right there in your homes or wherever you are, to, to take some bread, to go to the pantry and to grab some bread. Now, if you don't have some bread there, maybe you have some crackers that you can put together on a plate and you can have that for your family, or maybe it's wheat thins. I don't know what you have. It doesn't really matter. This is symbolic. This is symbolizing Christ's body, symbolizing Christ's blood. And take a cup and, and share. And maybe you have some wine or maybe you have some grape juice there in the fridge or, or maybe you even have some water. It's okay. Jesus is the living water. But if you'll take some time and go and get that on a plate and get a cup and now bring it back in. And if you're there with your family or you're there with friends or your roommates or or maybe you're alone. It's okay. Get, it, get that bread and get the cup. And then I'm going to invite us together to share communion on this Palm Sunday. I'm going to invite us together right now in homes gathered throughout our city, gathered throughout our state, gathered around our country, people who are watching around the world. And I'm going to invite you to, to take the plate and to give everybody a, a piece of the bread and would you hold it for a moment and think about this? This is Christ's body broken for you, for you, personal. And God made a way for you. Jesus said, take this bread and do this in remembrance of me. So let's share it together. Thank you, Jesus. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. My blood poured out for you. Before you were under the old covenant, right? When you sinned, you messed up. You were separated from God, but there's a new covenant of grace. Jesus said, take a drink in remembrance of me. Jesus said, when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a holy moment. What a special time on this Palm Sunday as we gather to put our eyes on Jesus, to not look down at our worries or our fears, but to look up and to think that Jesus is alive. And Jesus is coming back for us one day. Jesus is coming back for you and for me. And one day we'll hear him say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now we're not good by our own merit, but we are good by the grace of God. And when Jesus died on that cross for us, now God looks at us and he sees us as good because Jesus atoned for our sins. We are the disciple Jesus loved and he loves you. Well done, my good and faithful 
Oh, that we would be faithful. Today, do you believe? Maybe today is the day where you just say, I want to commit my life fully to Jesus. I want to live a life of faith, not of fear. Maybe today is the day where you go, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life, the Lord of my home. Jesus, I want you to change me. There's still this carnal man. There's still this brokenness in my life and this hurt and this pain. God, heal me, restore me, redeem me. God, I'm yours. I want to invite you to pray. I'm going to pray aloud, but if you'll just bow your head and close your eyes right where you are. And let me pray for you right now. Father God, here we are, gathered in homes throughout the city, throughout our country. Father, we gather together today. And Father, we come to recognize that we need you, that you are our God, that you love us. Thank you for Jesus and the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you that this world is not all that there is. There is more to come, eternal life. Thank you for Holy Week. I pray this week that we would be able to look up, look up from our worries, our fears, and set our eyes on Jesus. I pray that, Father, you meet us in our homes and in our hearts, and that you change us forever. Let us one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in the good times, and you were faithful in the tough times. You were there, and that one day we will hear you say, enter in, come and share your master's happiness. So today we dedicate our lives to you. We love you, Father. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.